Yeah, I think uh, that's an interesting word. It's like that. Do you remember that movie, The Princess Bride, where that guy says, you keep using that word. I do not think it means what you think it means. And uh, he's so right when it comes to diversification. We keep using that word, but I don't think it means what we think it means. This is Chan with The Plan, the podcast, a podcast providing career advice and easy, actual steps for frustrated professionals, helping you overcome career challenges so you stop feeling confused and defeated and start feeling focused and confident in order to excel in your career. I'm your host, Max Chan. Now let's dive into the episode. Thanks for coming on the show. Max, glad to be on. Thank you. There's, it's a... Very turbulent time as you, lots of layoffs. The housing market is not doing too well. Interest rates are rising. A lot of talk of the recession right now. If you go on like YouTube or news articles, there's so much talk about the recession. Is it happening? Is it already here? So a lot of people feel very uncertain right now. So in a way, it's good timing that I invite you at this time to come on my podcast because you can discuss all the financial strategies and mindset shifts you have to make in order to thrive in the recession in both your financial portfolio as well as in your career. But before we dive into it, why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself in terms of your financial expertise and why you be an important person to listen to in terms of providing financial. Max, thank you. And yes, it's a privilege and an honor to be on your show. Thank you very much. I know it's it's certainly we're in uncharted territory right now as an economy, but I've surprisingly have been here before with multiple recessions now under my belt as a certified financial planner. I can safely say that no matter if it's down years or good years, up or down or sideways, there are strategies that you can succeed with and even profit from and thrive with if you know where to look. And I've had the great privilege over the years of working with clients all across the country. Some people are business owners, others just uh, making it through their career and up- upgrading their career position. Still other people are real estate investors or even Super Bowl, NFL Super Bowl champions. But most people I meet and work with, Max, are just simply wanting to take a bit more control over their life. To many, when they sit down to first meet with me, they say things like, Mark, I feel like just a tennis ball floating down the gutter of life. I feel like things are being just handed to me, whether it's a 401k or a credit card or a mortgage. And I just take what's given to me, but I want more control. I want more agency. I want more capacity to be able to influence my environment rather than being impacted by it. And so that's been my great honor is to work with clients to do exactly that. And you couldn't think of a better type of work right now, a more timely or a time sensitive kind of work right now in the midst of everything that's going on. In your opinion, has the recession already happened? Is it going to happen? What's your mindset and opinion on all this talk of the recession right now? There, no one is the entire economy, so it doesn't matter, is the short answer. If you get laid off, you're in a recession, okay? <laughs> all right, so on a mega macro level, sure, we could dither about two quarters of negative growth versus three versus job gains versus job losses. As far as the macro economy goes, that's way above anybody's pay grade on this podcast, I think. But what I do believe is that on an individual level, we can participate in the recession or the recovery. I know people who made millions in the last recession when everyone else was losing their life savings. There's going to be money that goes to money heaven anytime there's a downturn. But you can find ways that protect yourself and even help you thrive in any economy. And you can create your own economy if you do it right. But it takes forethought and advanced thought. It's like when you're in the middle of a tornado or a hurricane, you can't prepare for it in the middle of the hurricane. What you have to do is prepare for it before it comes. So we're either in the middle of the hurricane or it's coming. It's hard to say other than that. 
whether we're in it or not. When is when are we in a hurricane? It's hard to say when it exactly starts, right? But what we can do is we can prepare for it well by taking some very simple steps that are time-tested and proven. In the midst of everything that's going on, we've got to be able to do something to influence our outcomes, uh, even if the rest of the world is troubled by what's happening on the headlines. Going back to what you said about the tried and tested strategies, I'm assuming you were experienced the 2008 recession, right? Like when I was... When it was 2008, I think I was in high school or just going to university, so it didn't affect me that much. I think it's more of an American thing. I think Canadians weren't as heavily impacted with the 2008 recession. But for you living in the U.S., what was your experience with the 2008 recession and what were some of the uh, strategies that you used there that would be applicable now if someone is struggling or going to be struggling in this recession that a lot of people are talking about? I was just getting out of my graduate degree in 2008, and my wife and I had three private school degrees between us, and we didn't have a really a job lined up as we graduated. And we went into the job market looking for work right as the recession was taking hold in 2008. So a great time to be looking for work. And we didn't exactly have marketable degrees. The kind of education we received was awesome, but it wasn't exactly like engineering or something like that. In fact, I remember as we moved from a small town in Texas to the big global city of Chicago, we really found all the scaffolding on those high rises was coming down. And uh, we were surprised to see how different the skyline looked because when we moved there, it was boom time. But pretty quick, a few months after that, it all fell apart. And it's quick. It's surprising. It was surprising for me to see how fast things turn around. Bear Stearns overnight, right? And all of a sudden, the entire world wakes up and says, what is going on? And I remember working for a CPA at that time and hearing her make those phone calls, those dreaded phone calls that no financial advisor ever wants to make. But she was a great CPA and managed great accounts for some great people, but she did have to make those calls. She was making the calls saying, hey, I'm sorry, Mr. 62-year-old. I know I've been working hard for you for the last X number of years, but I just lost you half of your life savings and you can't retire. That was a shock. And for many people, that was the end of it. Other people, they were just getting started. So I knew that if I was going to be in the financial world as a certified financial planner, I did not want any part of that. I wanted something that I knew I could feel good about and recommending our clients to implement. And there's just a lot more out there than just say the stock market or bonds. Let's dive into that a bit, right? When it comes to investing strategies, there is obviously investing in stocks, bonds, right? Index funds, there's real estate. If you want, you can also invest in the business. So what is your recommendations when it comes to investing money in a recession? The first thing you have to do is uh, absolutely know what you want. Figure out yourself first. I would say that you are your greatest investment. And I know it sounds cheeky. That sounds, okay, Mark, great. But I'm serious. If you're just a salary wage earner, and I think that's totally fine. Let's say that you, in the first 10 years of your career, you make 50,000 bucks. And let's say you never got a pay raise ever for the next 40 years. So 50,000 US dollars times 40 years in your career. That's $2 million. And that's not accounting for any pay raises. And that's not accounting for inflation, cost of living adjustments or anything. That's $2 million. And that's if you make nothing more than 50 grand for your entire career. And I just think most people don't count that on their balance sheet. So the first thing you have to do is realize, one, that you are your greatest investment. So developing yourself, investing in your mind and in your career and taking certifications, education, so forth. I know your recent podcast had some thoughts about this. 
whether you get the letters after your name or not, educate yourself like you've done, Max, and just pour into yourself. Be a better version of yourself. That will be maybe your number one investment of anything. It gives the highest return. Next, educate yourself specifically on money. Money is half of every transaction in the world. All right. So that's a big deal. That means we need to figure this money thing out. And I didn't learn it growing up. I wasn't taught it in school, but learning about money, I had to go get my CFP just to really feel like I had a good sense of what money is. So the next thing I'd say is definitely learn about this thing called money so you can know what you want your money doing for you. Listen, everybody else has a financial plan for your money. I'm talking about investment gurus. I'm talking about radio hosts. I'm talking about marketing firms, okay? Everybody else has a plan for your money. Whether that's McDonald's or Coach or Lexus or whatever, you can see them taking money out of your pocket if you don't have a financial plan. So you've got to feel confident that you know what your plan is for your money. And I guess the biggest error I see most people make is that they're just sort of given the financial products that somebody else figures is probably okay for them. Here's your 401k or your SP or whatever it is. Here's your brokerage account. Here's your credit cards. Here's your mortgage. And we just, here's your crypto. And we just carry this stuff in our backpacks as we go through our journey of life. And we never stop to think, do I really want this? Is it really helping advance my goals? And most people, when they really stop and think about it, the answer is no. They've got a bunch of old rocks banging around in their backpack that's just weighing them down. They'd be better off if they sat down and really just sat down and said, what do I truly want my money doing for me? Now, that's all esoteric stuff. We can bring it way down the ladder if you'd like, Max, and get into exactly some financial tools and products and strategies that have shown helpful for a lot of my clients if you'd like me to. But at a high level, invest in yourself, invest in education and money, and figure out what you want your money doing for you. Awesome. Yeah. Why don't you share, like, obviously don't go through a huge laundry list, but what are some like the key tools that you would recommend? Again, I'd say, let me start with my own journey too. All right. And then I'll get into some key ones here. I needed a few things, my money working for me in a certain way. I And I didn't want the labels of 401k, IRA, 529 plans, annuities, real estate. I wanted to get rid of all the labels and just talk about functionality of my money. So I knew I wanted a good competitive rate of return. I wanted some guarantees because again, I'm a post-recession graduate. I knew that guarantees were going to be important for me. So I wanted it to keep up with inflation, especially this year. I wanted my money to be accessible to me, not locked away for 40 years. I wanted it to be accessible so I could use it for anything I wanted. I didn't want any prohibited transaction data. Like I didn't want a bunch of people tracking me to notice how am I using my money. That's a big deal with a lot of these apps right now. They'll track how you're using your your app and how you're using your money. I didn't like that and I don't I still don't like that. I want it to be tax free whenever I got the money out in retirement. So I believe, and I'm not sure, no one knows the future, Max, but I believe that over our lifetimes, taxes are likely gonna go up. Probably gonna go up. I don't care who's in office, I don't care who the leaders are. Some point math just takes over. And we're all going to see taxes rise over our lifetimes. So I knew I wanted to pay my taxes now and have a tax-free future. That was going to yield the best return for me. Okay, so those are a couple of the things I wanted my money doing for me. And frankly, it's what I hear a lot of clients say the same. So one of the tools that became really compelling to me 
out of everything, we looked at probably 400 plus different financial strategies, tools, products that are out there. But one of the most out of left field solutions that was made aware of my, in, in my studies as a certified financial planner, what was made aware to me was this tool called whole life insurance of all things. It's an interesting little known, oftentimes it's much derided. Many people don't like it and for good reason. But as I looked at this, it was one of the tools that I felt could be modernized and made more efficient to do what I wanted my money personally doing for me. I'll share why, then I'll hush and get your thoughts. So first, whole life insurance. It's different than term insurance. That's the kind our employers might give us. A little bit of term insurance might be part of the perks of working at your job. They typically don't offer whole life insurance. What is it? It's a cash value policy. This means you have cash in the policy that you can spend before you croak, which in my opinion is the best time to spend money. <laughs> so you build up all this cash value in your policy and that cash does some really interesting things. First of all, it's accessible to me for any reason. I can spend it on a car. I can go to Disney World with it. I can invest in some real estate. I can send my own kid to college. I can fix up my kitchen. I can do whatever I want with that money. It's my cash. Second, the policy is growing on a guaranteed basis. So right now, the clients that have money in the market, their market accounts are down this year, 15 to 35%. And some of their stocks are down 90%, max 90%. So this is a big deal to have a part of your portfolio that is growing on a guaranteed basis every single year. Even when markets are crashing, I have several of these policies myself and they're hitting all-time record highs this year. All right, so that's the next piece. The third is it does solve the problem of needing life insurance. I've got a family and so I wanna make sure that's taken care of for my family. And then fourth and finally, I can use it like a bank. I can bank on myself for anything I need. I can borrow against the policy pay cash for the car or for the real estate deal. And my policy will continue to grow and compound even on the capital I borrowed like I never touched the money. So if I've got 50 grand of cash in my policy and I borrow out 40 grand to go buy a car, that year my policy will continue to grow compounding on the entire $50,000 like there was no loan. Now to me, this solves the biggest problem in finance, which is breaking compound growth. Every time we save money, we have to spend it and that breaks the compound growth. You save and you spend, save and then you spend. That is detrimental to long-term wealth accumulation. Every time I buy a cup of coffee or a car or a smartphone or whatever, I'm saving and then I spend it and then it's gone. But also gone is whatever that money might have grown to. Using this policy lets me continuously compound my cash because I can borrow against that money and rather than spending it. And yeah, I pay a little interest but I get compound growth on the full cash, which is more than what I usually pay in interest. So that's a long rant to answer your question. And it's not the only tool I'd recommend, but I'd say in the midst of this recession in the world that we are living in today, it would be a great way to prepare yourself for whatever financial hurricane is coming. Yeah, you make a good point. A lot of people, when they think of life insurance, they think of, oh, it's just something I pay monthly. And then if something happens to me, then my family is covered. But I never heard about the investment portion of the life insurance. So that's definitely interesting that you shared that. Yeah, it's certainly made a difference for a lot of our clients. Again, it's not something I'd just go recommending everybody go out and get. There are plenty of 
good reasons to put your money in other pockets in the financial universe. But honestly, I think too many people have overlooked whole life insurance, mostly because, yeah, the way it used to be designed a long time ago was designed mostly for commissions and for the death benefit. I'm flipping that upside down. When you design it a specific way, we call it the bank on yourself way. You can build that cash value much quicker in the first month. You have some cash. And in the first year, you see some massive cash accumulation plus dividends or can be added as well to really accelerate how much wealth is in that policy. And it can be used for stuff today, sure, but it's also a way to prepare for retirement as well. Going back to what you said about like, yes, in our lifetimes, taxes will always increase. Something that also increases is a cost of living inflation. Usually, as you are aware, that when it comes to staying at your job yearly, the annual raise is about, uh, let's say, 3 to 5%. And sometimes inflation is higher than that, right? And then also increase in taxes. So with that being said, as a financial expert, advisor, what do you, rent, what do you recommend people do trying to combat cost of living when their salaries are stagnant or they're not increasing to accommodate the cost of living and inflation? And again, like even if they job hop and make like 20% more, that's only a temporary solution because after a few years, if they stay on that job, they'll be back to where they started a few years ago anyway. So what's your advice on that? You're exactly right. There's an old phrase in finance called Parkinson's law. And the law says that your expenses will always rise to meet your income. I just smile every time I think about that. Your expenses will rise to meet your income. In other words, a luxury that you enjoy becomes a necessity. And I think about that with my heated seats in my car here in Chicago. That was a luxury when I first bought the car, but now it's a necessity. And we all get used to things like smartphones and air conditioning. So we all have these kind of cost of living adjustments because we have a living with our life. And you're exactly right, man. Even if you switch jobs, you're going to start living up to that new income. You can always outspend an income. I don't care how much you make. So the best way I can say is one, get a handle on what your needs are versus your wants. Get a money plan together. Again, everyone else has a plan for your money. Again, Lexus, Ghirardelli, Starbucks, they all have a plan for your money. All right, Vanguard, Fidelity, they all have a plan for your money. You might as well have a plan for your own money. And so getting that money plan put together, what am I going to need to do with this money in my pocket today before I get paid again, before next payday? What does this money need to do? What jobs does it need to take? What sort of actions does it need to take? And that's the first thing I would do. The next I would say is figure out a way to get some related streams of income. How can you tag, tag along with your day job and do something on the side? Because again, Here's back to you being your best investment. If you can find a way to add a related stream of income, generally speaking, what I've found is if you have a mental job during the day, you'll have more energy to do a physical job at after hours or on the weekend. Don't If you're an engineer all day long, maybe don't get into coding as your side job, but maybe there's a way you can relate. And that's just because you can work out your mental brain all day and then you're wasted at the end of the day. This is just personal anecdotal experience with clients, they tend to do better when their streams of income rely on different muscles, right? So your brain is a muscle and then your body is a muscle. So find a way to tag team those. And that's been a proven strategy that seems to work. But again, you want to find a way to, to relate those streams of income together. So maybe you are interested in some real estate investing. That might be a way for you to do a little extra side gig. Met a lot of people who are doing Airbnb as a side gig. But there are some tax strategies that allow them to qualify as a real estate professional, even if they've got a 40 hour a week job doing whatever as an auditor for a financial institution or something like that. So you can do some real estate investing, short term rentals, long term rentals. 
You can do something even smaller. Heck, my six-year-old can do a lemonade stand and make unbelievable amounts of money these days. But that is the quickest and fastest and most assured way you can keep up with inflation is to just make more income. There's no other fancy solution there. I could tell you, hey, go get some I-bonds or I could tell you to go get hopefully some dividend paying stock, but there's just nothing that will instantly give you an answer to your inflation woes than just making more money. You got to be more valuable to the economy and making a little more money is the best and easiest way to do that. One of the sayings, you've probably heard this before, is that you can only cut your expenses so much, right? But the potential to make more money is unlimited if you know what you're doing, right? Because for example, you all, you have to live somewhere, you can't cut your rent to zero, right? Sure, you, maybe you can move back home, but then you can't cut your food, right? Like you have to eat. So like, there's only so much you can cut before it, there's, it comes a point where you have to make more money. There's no other option at that point. Hey, and there's a time and a place. So there's a time and a place to cut your expenses for sure, but no one ever got wealthy by cutting expenses. I can tell you that they had to make some income to get wealthy. Now, I know a lot of people who didn't cut expenses and lost all their money because again, you can always outspend an income no matter how much you make. But yes, you're exactly right, man. There's only so much you can do on the expenses side and there's only two levers you can pull, more income, less expenses. The other thing is like the temptation of the credit card, right? Let's say they don't want to sacrifice anything. Oh, I'll just swipe with my credit card. I'll think of how to pay later. I know just make the minimum payment so my credit doesn't get hurt. But obviously that is definitely a bandage solution and long-term is going to really destroy you. So what's your advice in terms of self-control to not use that credit card when it's so tempting to? Yeah, it's, it is a temptation. There's lots of creative ways. It just depends on your personality here. How fun do you want to be? I've met people who put their credit cards in the freezer in ice cube trays so they have to wait for that ice cube to melt before they can swipe the card. I've had people who remove it from all their their digital wallets so that they have to actually type in the code again, like, like we're in the 1990s into the web. You can really cut it down to just one card. You can ask a friend to keep your CSV on the back of the card. What do you call that? The little secret code on the back of your card. So you have to talk to another person before you can swipe it. There's, there's limits on cards. You can self limit yourself. In other words, you can make it where you can't spend more than 200 bucks a day. Lots of things you can do there. But the main thing is it's like a diet. If you can get rid of all the junk food in your house, it just happens by default. I have never met anybody who made their first million dollars on credit card points. All right. And I don't care how many airline miles you might be able to collect. And sure, there might be some wild and crazy credit card gurus out there who can really live their life, their best life on credit card points and free t-shirts. But I would just say, suggest that maybe those credit cards are not there to be your best friend. And maybe getting rid of the junk food in your house, i.e. getting rid of all your credit cards, there's nothing wrong with that. Now that said, if you have no problem with credit cards and you can manage them and you're paying them off every month, and you're using them for your convenience, then boy, oh boy, use them away. Enjoy those credit card points, those free airline miles, whatever. But if you're noticing a habit of spending beyond and you can't pay off that balance in a regular way, then maybe send them on loan to somebody else or put them in the deep freeze until next April and see what happens. In terms of like right now, right? There's a lot of fears of the recession as we've already discussed. What have some of your clients been talking to you about in terms of what are some of their concerns and what have you recommended them do to prepare for the recession so they can be manage their finances during the recession and then when things are turning around and things are good, they're able to quote unquote double down and prosper during the good times once it picks back up again. Yeah, there's I don't think we're done with volatility yet. And the question is really how long will this last? So 
many people pre-retirement are just letting their 401ks go up and down and mostly down this year. And they're just trying to ignore it. I've never really liked that strategy. Why? Where else are we to ignore pain? If I'm in the kitchen and I feel a searing, burning sensation, do I just ignore that searing, burning sensation or do I pull my hand away from the stove? The trouble is once you pull away from the stock market, you're locking in your losses. My, my biggest, I guess my biggest problem is we've got this insatiable desire to be in stocks. Like that's the only way to achieve financial freedom or financial independence is to be a speculator on Wall Street. And that's just patently not been the case for most of the American or Canadian history. There has not been a major move into stocks until the late 70s when we all became a nation of investors and speculators. Here in the United States, there was a law passed, the ERISA Act of 1974, which started accounts like the IRA and the 401k. The 401k is actually only 41 years old. First 401k was in 1981. Here we are at the end of 2022. So the 401k is so young, it's not even old enough to retire yet. Let that sink in for a minute. And I'm similar, similar history with the Canadian products as well. Tax deferred retirement accounts like the RSP, RS, RSP, and so forth are relatively new phenomenons. And so the question really is, what were people doing before that? And how better off were we as a country or as a people when we didn't have to rely on the wild swings of the stock market, the gyrations and the ups and downs? Whole life insurance has been one of those tools. It's been around for hundreds of years. It's there in Canada. It's here in the United States. And it's provided for families generation after generation. And in fact, here's an interesting fact. For those people in retirement, clients of mine in retirement, maybe they've still got some stocks in their 401k, IRA, brokerage account, but they've also set up a whole life policy. So they're drawing money from their retirement account in the good years, but Max, in the down years, they don't take money from their retirement accounts. They let that thing just bottom out and then come back up again, like it always does. Markets are oftentimes terrible down, downward trends, but then there's a usually a good year after the downturn, there's oftentimes a positive reversal. So the bull market takes off. I look at 2008 and 9, but then look at the recovery after that. There was a major recovery in the years following the Great Recession. So what if you had your market money and all you had was stock market money and you're in retirement? You have no choice but to take that money out. You still got to eat. You still got to buy groceries when the markets are crashing. But man, if you had your market money, and you had what we call a buffer account, a whole life policy, for example, and you draw from your buffer account, your whole life policy, when the markets are crashing, you let the stock account stick around, sit around, get beat up by the markets, and then begin to recover again. You can actually use both of these accounts in tandem. It's almost like they work really well together, almost like nitro and glycerin. They're fine alone, Nitro, nitrogen, glycerin are fine on their own. Put them together and they're dynamite. So if you have a whole life policy for the down years and you have stocks to spend in the up years, you've got a great one-two tool. We call this the volatility buffer. And it's a great one-two part tool to help you go through recessions like we may be going into right now. Now, for folks who aren't in retirement, having liquid money is going to be a great idea. Having a big pile of cash. What if you get unemployed? We need you to live on that money 
that you might not be able to get access to if it's all in a retirement account. So we again, whole life insurance plays a great part in people's downtime, in their down years. When times get tough, you can draw on whole life insurance, which is guaranteed to be there for you. Stocks, when you're needing that money, it's typically down. The markets are down when you're having a crisis, right? But if it's whole life insurance or something like that, so you've got something that's predictable, guaranteed, you can get access to it for any reason. That to me helps me sleep better at night. And again, it's not a great tool for everybody. I'm not recommending everyone just rush out and go get one of these, put all their money into it, not at all. But boy, it's a great salve, a great balm against a lot of the things that we're facing, a lot of the headwinds we're facing right now. So there's this saying when it comes to investing, diversify your portfolio. Right? What's your thoughts on that? Yeah, I think uh, that's an interesting word. It's like that. Uh, do you remember that movie, The Princess Bride, where that guy says, uh, you keep using that word. I do not think it means what you think it means. And he's, he's so right when it comes to diversification. We keep using that word, but I don't think it means what we think it means. So when we say the word diversification, generally what we're saying is we've got all of our eggs in 12 different baskets. We've got some growth stock. We've got some value stock. We've got some dividend payers. We've got some emerging markets, et cetera, et cetera. We've got all these, we've got some bonds. Don't forget about those bonds, even though they're crashing this year too. So we have all these eggs in 12 different baskets. That's what we think when we're thinking about diversification. The problem, Max, is that all of those baskets of eggs are on the same truck right now. And that truck is going off a cliff. Okay. So if all your eggs are in 12 baskets on the same truck going off a cliff, how much good did all of our diversification do us? Not at all. What we need are what's called non-correlated assets. We need some eggs on a different truck so that no matter what, we've got something that isn't correlated to whatever nightmare scenario is being played out on the world stage or in the markets. So again, am I saying don't put money on in the markets truck? No, but I am saying diversify, not just among a couple of baskets, but on a number of different trucks, non-correlated, non-related asset classes. When it comes to, there's this try and true investments, just as whole life insurance, as you mentioned, but a lot of people want to invest in the shiny objects. I, I'm, you probably know where I'm going with this. So there's obviously NFTs now, Bitcoin, like all this like fancy stuff with no historical, no historical history of like returns. So what's your thoughts on like these people trying to strike it rich with these new investment options out there? I heard the other day that the the trading volume for NFTs is down 99% since the summer. 99% loss in trading volume. That means no one cares. That's surprising to me. Now, somebody out there is going to make a ton of money on NFTs, and there may be a point where they come roaring back too. That's the problem. No one knows the future. And someone much fam much more famous, see, he, his name's Robert Kiyosaki. He says that there are three sides to every coin. If you know that phrase, three sides to every coin, there's heads, there's tails, and the edge. And he likes to play the edge. And I agree with him. So find a way to profit, whether Bitcoin goes down or up, whether NFTs are gone or if they're coming back, what could we do here? One option is you could put some of your money. Most people put too much of their money into speculative assets. Okay. Other people ignore it altogether because they're afraid of it or they don't understand it. And that's not a good idea either. You got to learn. You got to educate yourself. I have some crypto. There's other people who have crypto. You can use that tool as an asset class too, non-correlated. But how could you profit from this? Let's use Bitcoin as an example. 
if you just paid cash for your Bitcoin, just dump some money into the Bitcoin asset class, it might go up and you've made some money and you're happy. It could go down and then you've lost money and you're not happy. But what if, again, I'm going to harp on this whole life tool, but let me do this because I think it's a really interesting thought exercise here. What if you had one of these whole life insurance policies? Again, designed the bank on yourself way. It's got to be designed correctly. Remember, I mentioned one of the features of this tool is that I can put money into it and I can borrow against it and pay cash for my investing or my car or whatever. But the policy itself will continue to compound like there was no loan. So again, let's use the same numbers. Let's say I've got $50,000 of cash value and let's say I want to buy some Bitcoin and let's say I can get it for 40,000 bucks whatever, however many coins that buys us these days. So I borrow against my whole life policy. I go pay cash for the crypto. Now I've got the coin and it's going to do whatever it's going to do. But I know my policy is still going to compound and grow for me on the entire 50,000 bucks like I had not taken the money out because I didn't. I simply collateralized it. So I borrowed from my whole life. I paid for the Bitcoin. The Bitcoin goes down. Maybe it crashes to zero. That doesn't feel good. I still have my compound growth in my whole life policy. So at least I hedged my bet there. And now I've got to suck it up and pay my loan back to myself on my own schedule. Now that's the cool thing. There's no required repayment plan. I could take a six months. I could take six years. I could take the rest of my life. If I never pay off that loan, it's just deducted from my death benefit when I pass away. Now let's say we say the Bitcoin goes up in value. Now we get the growth of the policy. And we get the growth on the Bitcoin. We just increased our market yield without any additional market risk. And when we, whenever we're ready to, we can sell some of the Bitcoin and pay off the policy loan. And then just recycle that money into the next crypto, whatever it is, NFTs or whatever comes next after NFTs. All right. So that's the strategy. That's playing the edge of the Bitcoin. They say the you got to put your money in something, right? Because there's a saying that cash is trash, where just leaving it in the bank is... Um, horrible because then inflation eats it up. But you also mentioned that during this time, it's a great time to actually hold on to a lot of cash because things are cheaper. So what is your recommendation in terms of like how much cash should you hold before you start spending it? And where should you invest at that time? These are all such great questions. And it's proof you're really thinking about it yourself and also I'm sure helping your audience as well. If folks are new to their job, this is the paradox. Because if you're new to the job, you're first to go if there's going to be layoffs. I think Twitter just laid off half of all of its employees like this week as we're recording this. Yeah, Elon Musk. Now, they're a very special company right now. (laughs) Oh, say again? No, I'm just saying like Elon Musk basically acquired the company and just laid half half the staff off, right? That's right. Yeah, Yeah. they're a very special kind of company right now and very special, very interesting CEO. But There you go. I don't know what the future holds, but if we're heading into recession, layoffs are going to become part of the headlines. And I would suspect that is actually a lagging indicator that we're in the middle of the hurricane at that point. The beginning stages are things like our trade surplus or deficit, as the case may be. Things like that are more of an economic lead indicator that we're heading into recession. So if you're new to your job, you're generally going to be one of the first to be laid off, generally speaking. So you need to have a ton of cash to go look for so you can sit on it and spend it while you look for more the next job. But if no one's hiring, how are you going to find another job? That's the quandary of the recession. And this is something that many young adults have not experienced in their life because all they've seen is a bull market. 
But uh, I can sell, I can tell you that many people in the last recession, it took them two years to get another job. Actively looking in two years go by. So do you need two years of cash on hand? Not in a bank account, but maybe somewhere where it can earn some decent yield, but you still have modest access to it, like within a month or two, or at least even maybe even a week or two to get access to some cash. So you can use it if you need it, say in an unemployment situation. Yeah. So say, does everyone need one to two years of liquid money? No, but the more you can have, not only would you be able to survive any hurricane financially, but what if you did find some real estate dropping in price like we did in 2008? Couldn't you pick it up at a, at a discount if the rest of the world is hurting for cash and all of their stock portfolios are down and they can't get access to any money in their house and you're sitting on six figures of liquid cash for any purpose? Yeah, you can take advantage of some opportunities in that case. The question that I want to ask now is that, yes, there's a lot of talk of the recession, but there was also the pandemic where a lot of people got laid off. Was that a semi-recession or was it between COVID when things were shut down and no one was spending because of lockdown compared to like now? What is the difference? Yeah, that was not a recession because it was such a fast blip. You might say that was the economy clearing its throat. And essentially it was a month or so, month, maybe two months where we had a pretty quick dip and then a very fast rebound and hard to imagine, but like Disney lost I think it was, you'll have to check my numbers here, but I believe it was 65% value drop in one day, but then they made back half of that the next day. So, you know, these are flash crashes that happened in 1987 with Black Monday here in the United States. It was like a flash crash. We've had multiple quick crashes like that. What we're entering now is a long-term headwind of higher interest rates. So, Again, we've lived on such cheap money for the last 12 years, it's hard to even imagine anything other than what we've all experienced. You and I are about the same age. So it's hard to imagine this, but in the 1980s, there was a 12-year period from the late 70s to early 80s where mortgages were over 10% interest. A mortgage, over 10%. Can you even imagine that? Like we all experienced 3% mortgages, 2%, 4% mortgages. We're heading into a 7% mortgage world right now. And how long will that last? No one has any clue. And if history is any teacher, it took a lot of effort. And the last time we were in this kind of an inflationary environment, rates went up to almost 21% before they finally started to come back down. So what does that mean for our future? I have no idea. The best thing you can do is find assets that benefit from higher interest rates. Okay, so what are those? They're not stocks. Stocks are hurt with higher interest rates. And bonds, bonds are hurt with rising interest rates. That's why both stocks and bonds are showing red blinker signals this year. They're both in the red. They're both losing money. So find assets that, again, are non-correlated. There's that word again. On a different truck and find ways to get ready right now because I don't know how long we've got before we really make it into this hurricane. To wrap up our conversation in terms of get ready, right? Whether someone's laid off, whether someone feels uncertain, what is your advice in terms of planning a strategy to weather the storm of this hurricane that's going to be happening? And again, we don't know how long it's going to be. Let's say a couple of years. What do you recommend someone listening right now? What are the main takeaways you want them to take away from this episode? Keep listening to Max's podcast and all of his TikTok videos because you're going to need to be as like ready to go for job hunting, searching, improving yourself, improving your resume. So 
this is one of the best times to be doing what you're doing, Max. So keep up the good work here. And I would say too, don't treat yourself like a victim. The victim mentality is like poison in a recession. Again, I'd say many of the clients who meet with me tell me, Mark, I just felt like when, before I met you, Mark, I felt like I was just a sort of on life's downward spiral. I was like a tennis ball floating down the gutter of life. So find something that you can hold on to and begin to move upstream, financially speaking. Maybe it's that side hustle. Maybe it's that new credential you want to get. Maybe it's a new career path you want to try. Uh, so find something that gives you the confidence you need to make it through any economy. Because again, you you are influenced by the world economy, but you're not controlled by it. Okay? You're influenced, but you're not controlled by it. And I would say that there's a lot you can do to create your own economy and to create your own money supply, and to create your own federal reserve of yourself, right? You can be your own personal fractal reserve. So there's the federal reserve banking system. What if you could have your own banking system for yourself and decide for yourself, hey, I'm going to raise my own interest rates. <laughs> so why is it that we have to have a controlled like dials on a thermostat by some banker who doesn't know who I am or what who you are or any of this? Find ways to move yourself upstream financially. Maybe it's an Airbnb. Maybe it's a side hustle. Maybe it's a lemonade stand. Do something that gives you some sense of agency so that you don't feel that sense of victimhood, which again is like poison in this environment. Yeah, I think it goes back to whether it's business, your career, or anything you want to do to be successful. The great way to weather any obstacle is just to take action. Just take intentional action. And over time, you can beat like any obstacle that comes your way. That's right, man. Again, I really appreciate you taking the time to talk to me about financial strategies to help beat the recession. And I want to end this episode with a question I ask all my guests. So I see my podcast about helping professionals overcome career obstacles. So for you, what has been one big financial challenge that you had to overcome in your career to get to where you are today? When we graduated, we had six figures of student loan debt and no plan to pay it off. No plans for forgiven, forgiveness of the loan or anything like that. No, no repayment plan. We graduated in the midst of a recession. So it was a great time and I'd say to be looking for work, but it's also, I suppose, something to just remember that we can't control when, like when I was born as a kid, baby, no way I could have known that when I was graduating college, there'd be a recession. It just happened. I'd say the best thing you can do is make yourself as valuable to the marketplace as possible and do more than I suppose what's expected because money is traded for value and you'll never be poor. You'll never be for want if you've got value that you can bring to the marketplace, whatever that looks like, whatever world we live in, in the future. So with that being said, how can people reach out to you to learn more about what you do and how you can help them? You know, we work with folks all over the country and Canada too, by the way. And uh, we sit down and have a strategic introduction. It's a 15 minute call. No, nothing heavy, but it's a chance for us to get to know each other. And we'd see if this tool that I've mentioned today or any other tools in our toolbox would be helpful in helping you prepare to get that storm shelter ready and to be ready to take advantage and even benefit from the financial malaise that we might be going into, the financial hurricane we might be going into. So go to kickstartwithmark.com. That's kickstartwithmark, with a K.com. And we can have a quick 15-minute conversation to get to know each other and see what tools or resources might be of your advantage in this season. Sounds great, Mark. Again, I really appreciate the time. Thank you. Thanks for having me on. 
Thank you so much for listening. And if you found this content valuable, here's three ways I can help you achieve your career goals for free. First, subscribe to this podcast as I post two episodes a week. Number two, leave a five-star review as this helps build the credibility of the show so we can gain access to more influential people to interview and bring those lessons to you to help elevate your career. And number three, connect with me on social media. There's a link in the show notes for you to click on that compiles all my active social media accounts, making it easy for you to find me and connect with me. Thank you again for listening and until next time. Oh,